Welcome to DJ Grandpa's Crib, the podcast of Kickstarter, the crowdfunding website. Each week, I interview real people with honest dreams. Today is Monday, June 10th, 2013. On this day in history, in 1752, Ben Franklin flew a kite during a thunderstorm and collected an electrical charge when the kite was struck by lightning, thus proving the electrical nature of lightning. Dude, that's shocking. Hi Kickstarter, I'm Morgan. And I'm Orlando. And we've set up the Orange Tree production. And we need your help with our project, Between Empires. Could you tell me about Between the Empires? The story is set in India in the 18th century. It's essentially a love story. And it follows George, who is our protagonist, moving to India to work for the East India Company, which was sort of the first multinational company in the world. And he goes to work at one of their outposts in Bengal, in India. And he meets and falls in love with this Indian princess. And she's in Perda. And they, the first time they're drawn together is she's singing her sort of aria, her song. And he hears it while he's walking in the palace gardens, sort of on duty. And he's immediately drawn to her and they, he follows the sound. It's a, it's far-fetched, I'll give it that, but he yeah. follows the sound and they sort of meet and they sort of start singing to each other and fall in love with each other's voice at first. It's basically love at first hearing. <laughs> Right. And uh, they continue their love affair, and she's betrothed to be married to someone else, or she's married to someone else. And it's about their struggle to stay together, and at the yeah. same time, the evil part of the evil members of the East India Company, the antagonist, he's trying his best to destroy everything in his past, and most importantly, trying to overthrow the Raja to gain control of the trade, which is historically accurate. A lot of English at the time did do that, try to overthrow the Raja so that they could put their own puppet king and make loads of money, basically. So it's kind of like the classic uh, Romeo and Juliet, West Side Story type of... Exactly, exactly. Is this your first musical? Yeah, it's my first musical. Um, My uncle produces musical theatre, and um, so I've sort of always been involved in musicals from a very young age. Is your family supportive? Well, they've been very supportive. They haven't, like, given me any sort of financial support. My parents are forever asking me questions about wanting to read the script, and every script update, they're, like, desperate to read it, which is quite sweet. Are they shocked? They're like, not you. We never thought you'd do something like this. Yeah, they were kind of, because I kind of had the idea sort of overnight as I woke up and I said, I really want to write this musical. I had this story and I really wanted to translate it into something on the stage. And I met and I got my writing partner, who's my a very good friend of mine, Orlando. And we started we started forming this story pretty quickly. My parents were like, whoa, this has come out of nowhere. That was 18 months ago. We 
had the idea, so it's been quite a quick process in terms of getting it done, meeting our composer. No, I like the title of your musical, Between Empires. That's pretty yeah. intriguing. We had so many different ideas for it, and the Between Empires came about because it was going to be Caught Between Empires. We were like, Caught Between Empires, like arming and ahhing, and then suddenly it was like a one of those light bulb moments, and suddenly we were just like, what if we just take away everything and just have Between Empires? And it sort of worked. I don't know how. It suggests the time the musical is set. It's just as the Mughal Empire is sort of crumbling, ending, and just before the British Empire sort of taking over. So it's between, but then it's also between empires because it's the love between Anala and George, who are our two protagonists. There's a lot of crap to get through before we got to between empires. What language is this? A musical setting. What language? Yes. Was it English? It'll be English. Yeah, it'll be English. Okay. We've got a phenomenal Indian vocalist that comes and sings at particular moments throughout the musical, and he'll be singing in Hindi. And that was a conscious thing, I guess, on our part. Firstly, because we wanted, you know, we're in, based in London. We've, the majority of people that will see it here. You know, you've got to do it in English to make it accessible for everyone. But the idea of the Hindi vocalist to come through and sing in this like phenomenal way—it really brought it to where it should be. And it's like perfect mix of the East and the West. I saw in your Kickstarter video that you seem to have picked out the musical composer like overnight or something. It's like you said it's—it was like he gave you four bars and all of a sudden you were sold. Now, how could something like that happen? We approached a few of the composers and we asked them to write four bars of music. It was mainly because I didn't want to give them anything more because I felt that I didn't want them to put too much time in it if they weren't going to get it. Do you know what I mean? But actually, since talking to them, they were like, "That is actually harder to translate something in such a short amount of time." So I kind of did that wrong. But what it did do is it made Mikhail stand out as the clear. Winner, not it's not competition, but he was the one. What he produced, you know, you play it, and we got chills instantly. And this was like, yeah, February, March, 2012. I'll never forget that day. Actually, it was a pretty cool, pretty cool. And then we met him over Skype the next day, and it was instant, you know, instant connection. One of those over Skype. I'll never forget that either. I was in a Joe and the Juice in Soho. Yeah, I was with Orlando, and we just knew instantly. We knew that we'd found our composer, and we were right because what Mikhail has done is nothing short of genius. And we are count our lucky starts to have found someone so so talented. Now, which country is he from? So he's Greek, but he lives in Berlin. All right, so you guys are global. Yeah, <laughs> we are <laughs> from all over. You actually are between empires. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It goes even, gosh, it's so pedantic. We even do it as far as our creative team. <laughs> what sort of comments have you been getting about your project, what you're trying to achieve? Yeah, we've had our workshops trying out with singers and things like that. So you're kind of sharing it with outside world a, a bit. But with Kickstarter, I guess what's so amazing about it is that it goes even further than that. And right. before you put something on the stage, it's amazing to see. The beginnings of some feedback or some interest, or and getting people backing that you don't know at all is like a is a huge thing as well. I get the feeling as though you guys don't really know what you're doing, 
but it's like you guys are like on the edge of your seat and you're kind of like feeling it out the whole way and it's working for you and that seems very cool you know we are definitely definitely we don't know what we're doing at all but all we do know is that we've got a few things that work Nicole is the main one the music right. and we're just running with it you know kickstarter we have no idea what we're doing with kickstarter but we're just going with the flow it's, you know we've got our showcase in on the 26th of june and we start rehearsals this weekend and we're just go 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 and not looking kind of not looking back and full steam ahead i don't know if that's the right way of doing it i don't know i think probably a professional would be like what the hell are you doing but we're just moving and things are just spinning around us but we're moving forward if that makes any sense for anyone out there who's interested in musicals who who likes musicals you know the whole jump up and dance sing you know get your story out go to kickstarter.com type in between empires it'll pull up their page and if you can't find it there go to djgrandpa.com and we'll always provide links morgan thank you very much for coming on the show and thank you for calling and taking the time out of your day to chat with me it's been so nice fairy tale please take me in your spell enchanted tale i am yours one more day take me back to where the flowers grow to these nights do these dreams exist I'm back, and this time I'm talking to an inventor. Her name is Amanda Williams. I'm not exactly sure what she is exactly, but she has this cool light called the Clyde, and it has a wonderful video on Kickstarter. I look at this as though Clyde is kind of real. I mean, I know I might might sound crazy, but I'm thinking he's kind of like Alf. It's like in the video, you might turn your back and he's somewhere else. And so he's off-putting to me. But I love this guy. Welcome to the show, Amanda. Well, hi. It's great to uh, be on your show. But what is Clyde? He's not a lamp, is he? He's a lamp, yeah. But who is he? I mean, what can he he? do? Like all the interesting stuff. You keep saying interesting stuff, but I, I don't understand exactly. Okay, well, he's a whimsical little dude. So he will provide light. He is great as a bedside lamp. There's a light on him that's bright enough to read by, and there's another light that is colorful and pretty ambient light. But he also reacts to things. So if you touch his legs, he changes color, or you can add a little piece of hardware that will make him turn on automatically when it gets dark, and he does a sequence of sunset colors. Oh, you mean kind of almost like a nightlight or something? Or? Yeah, yeah, just like that. Oh, okay. And so he does a sequence for like 20 minutes and then falls asleep when you do, maybe. So the whole thing is also Arduino compatible. Are you familiar with Arduino? That's what I was about to ask you about. DJ Grandpa does not understand Arduino. What is <laughs> Arduino and why would I want Clyde to be Wi-Fi compatible? Okay, well, Arduino is um, its a kind of microcontroller that is probably the easiest tiny computer to program out there. So if anyone ever wants to make a robot or make some blinky lights, Arduino is a really good place to get started. Are you saying it's like a rudimentary platform for programming at the simplest yeah. levels or something, like robotics yeah, it, and... Pretty easy programming platform, right? And it's meant to be used with 
electronics, so lights, microphones, speakers, robots, that kind of thing. Okay. So we put an Arduino inside of our lamp. And if you never want to program it, you never have to program it. But if you want to, then we're using a platform that's very easy to work with. You know, I don't want to sound stupid, but I was about to mix Arduino up with Bluetooth or something because I, I just wasn't... You know, I'm I'm not that. Uh, I mean, I have a smartphone and I'm surrounded by computers, but I just push buttons. I totally know how you feel. That was me a few years ago. <laughs> okay. So the nice thing about Arduino is it will work with Bluetooth or Wi-Fi or other wireless communication methods. I have children, so I want to know: Is Clyde sturdy? Can he take a licking and keep ticking? Oh yes, he can. So we brought three prototypes to Maker Fair in the Bay Area last weekend. And so he got knocked over and yanked around by hundreds of little kids and uh, actually survived for the whole two days of uh, high-stress kid testing. And those are just prototypes. So we are actually making the electronics even sturdier than that. Okay. Uh, let's see, what else is there? It's almost over. You told me just about everything. <laughs> everything I could imagine about Clyde, and, you know, I still like this guy. <laughs> and I like that you guys kind of refer to him as a person in, in the video. I think that's great marketing. We have totally life. started thinking of him as a person. This thing has um, a ridiculous amount of personality. I thought that you were probably thinking that I was some sort of crazoid or something, because I was, like, sending you emails, like, I love Clyde, you know, who is this guy? I got to speak to Clyde. And so I thought you would like, probably thought I was like some sort of, you know, crazy way or something. Oh, no, I just figured you were on the same wavelength as us. <laughs> I want to say, I'm not sure if that's good. Is that a compliment? <laughs> well, we're crazy. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That is a question. Okay. You guys are crazy. I mean, why a Clyde? Why a Clyde? I mean, there's 1 million lamps on the market at varying prices, all from cheap to, you know, expensive. That's capitalism. But yeah. why a Clyde? I mean, what well, sort of purpose does it have? you never seen a lamp like Clyde, have you? I don't think I have. No, I, I haven't. I haven't. Okay, that's an admission. I, I haven't seen a lamp like Clyde, but why a Clyde? Why? I mean, why? I mean, I love the guy, but... <laughs> why? Well, why Clyde? For a few reasons. One is because, like I said, we have never seen a lamp like this before. And he works as a lamp, but he's completely unique. And I think a lot of people in our demographic, so I'm in my early 30s, and a lot of people that I know around my age are just really tired of the kind of bland home accessories and furniture that are mass-produced and easily available to them. So we did want to make something that was deliberately unusual and unique. And the other reason is we wanted to make something that you can completely open up and change and tinker with and that, you know, you're not going to avoid the warranty because you wanted to do something cool with the, with the object that you own. And that's really important to me is that, like, a normal object like a lamp that you actually use should also be something that you can open up and understand how it works and change it if you want to. For anyone interested in getting to know Clyde, go to kickstarter.com and type in C-L-Y-D-E, Amanda. Thanks for coming on the show. Well, thank you for having me on your show. This was really fun. 
you know, now we have a first-time gamer, and his name's Tony Go. He has a game on Kickstarter right now called Hunters of Arkfall. It's a game involving dice and bounty hunting, kind of like a whole sci-fi type of veneer. And uh, he's from Chicago. Tony, welcome to the show. Hi, it's good to be here. Tony, could you tell me about the game? It's a board game based on bounty hunting, um, and it's a pretty simple game. And it's really just a fun little dice roller. The first player to capture a certain amount of bounties wins the game. I hear you have like fifty dice in this game, or something like that. How many? How, how'd you come up with that? It's actually book? it's thirteen dice, and they're <laughs> custom molded dice, right? So they'll last uh, a lifetime. How did you come up with the dice? You know, like the meanings for the dice and all of that. What they actually okay, do. Okay, sure. When I first was making a board game. I had this really big complex game. There was like 200 cards and, and like 20 dice. And that was just too complicated. So I took the most fun parts of the game, which was just the dice rolling, just the hunting. And I pulled that out and it came up with just this game. You're playing as hunters, rolling a set amount of dice against bounties. Now, bounty hunting, I think, is pretty hazardous type of lifestyle so is there like intrigue can you get killed off pretty easily are you you know bloodthirsty type of game i mean what's going absolutely. on absolutely each one of the dice has a one in six chance of rolling a wound and if you take too many of them then you're out of the hunt temporarily and in this game you'll hunt and you'll capture a bounty mm. and after you've captured him you can choose to continue and hunt for more or cash out and claim your points so you can continue to hunt, and each time you hunt, you're gaining a higher risk of losing everything you've captured up to that point. What's the age range for this game? It sounds up there. Right now, it's uh, eight years and older. Okay. Like I said, it's a pretty simple game. There's not even much reading involved. Because I'm a graphic designer, I designed the game to have a lot of simple icons, and the dice tell you exactly what they do according to the cards. Uh, another thing about the game, have you played it with a lot of people, tested it and stuff? I've been playtesting it for about a year now, uh, and there's local shops around around here in Chicago that I'll go and playtest and demo the game. And I also do a lot of traveling, so you know I'll hit up places in Arizona and uh, even Canada, uh, and I'll play with all sorts of people and get. I, I love the community feedback can people can give me. And I see on Kickstarter in the comments section, it seems like you have almost as many responses as you do backers at this moment, and they seem to be. Just hammering you on all sorts of stuff, you know, how can we help, um, talking about probabilities about the game, talking about rewards and, and bonuses and stuff, talking about how hard it is for a first-time gamer. I mean, how have you kept up with all those comments? I think the biggest strength to Kickstarter is actually those people that can comment about the game. And for a game like mine, which isn't 100% fully developed, well, it's developed, but it has the flexibility to be changed. Right. I think those commenters can really come in there. And I mean, these are the people who are, who are getting the game, who are buying the game, and they're telling you what they want. Right. So for someone who's designing it and for the people who are interested in backing the game, having the game changed based on what the backers want is just a really cool thing that it doesn't really come from any other type of website. What would you like to say to a prospective backer, someone who's listening to this podcast and, and uh, trying to decide on your game? 
Um, well, I think anybody who loves science fiction, artwork, and the theme of bounty hunting will really enjoy the game. I designed it for a wide range of gamers. So if you've always needed a game to get that non-gamer friend of yours or a family member to start playing some more serious games, I think this is the perfect introduction for them. Now, are you hooked? You know, this is your first game. I hear it's kind of like a fever. You get in and... What happens? Oh, yeah, I've got lots of ideas for other games, and I'm really hoping if this one works out, then I can transition the things I've learned from this campaign to uh, future games of mine. So how has your Kickstarter experience been overall? You really have to be flexible when it comes to Kickstarter. If you've got a project there that you're unwilling to change, then it really doesn't belong on Kickstarter, I think. If you're interested in Hunters of Arkfall by Tony Go, go to kickstarter.com and type in Tony Go or Hunters of Arkfall, A-R-C-F-A-L-L. It'll bring up a page. Here's a great little vignette in the top of the video. It'll kind of pique your interest and draw you in. If you can't find it, you can always go to djgrandpa.com and, as I said, we'll provide links. Tony, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Hey, what's going on, Kickstarter? This is Macklemore here. And just wanted to talk to you a little bit about my dear friend, Evan Roman. We've worked together for many, many years. Love song, Contradiction, and most recently, our song off of our album, Oh, This is DJ Grandpa. This is Evan. How's it going, Evan? Good, how are you? I'm doing okay. And I wanted to say congratulations because you were funded in basically a week on Kickstarter. So yeah. how does that make you feel? I think it was definitely unexpected. Now, I see you had the Macklemore guy. You know, I hear he's trouble. See him at the top of your video and all of that. Hear a lot of people's feeling him. They're feeling your voice and all of that. So. And so the hopelessness settling but they say most dangerous human is the one with nothing left now let this thought give you rest tell you fire i guess i'll get that question out of the way first you you guys have worked together a lot i hear and you know, yeah. You're still working together, you know, no bad vibes or anything that he kicked you out of the band or something like that. We've known each other since we were 18, and so we've been working together on his first album, on Language of My World, I did Love Song and Contradiction, and then this song I sang on it called Awake, we wrote about four years ago, and, you know, way before any of this happened, and, and we're really good friends, so I just... You know, said, what are your thoughts about, you know, Cameo and the Kickstarter? And then when I was putting the Kickstarter together, I realized that I didn't have a very good intro. And I was like, how about you intro the Kickstarter? And he was like, of course. And he was in Colorado. Someone took it on the iPhone. He sent it over. And my brother just kind of edited everything together for me. It turned out well. I like I the video. It's cool. Thank you. Making love to the one said I do but makes you tell you what you came for do you think there must be more do you think which your solo ep going to be about 
song, and it is one song for each place that I've lived. So I definitely grew up kind of gypsy style. I'm from Missouri. I grew up in a divorce household, so I just grew up doing two weeks, two weeks, moving all the time. And then um, from there, I went to high school in Hawaii and college in New Mexico and then Washington and Colorado and California. So I thought, how can I put together in one piece all these musical influences and people and experiences from all the different places that I've lived right. uh, into one piece to kind of represent me and what I do. Production-wise, that's what that is. And then lyrically, it's a, it's a love story. So it's a relationship that's six stages of a relationship. So you'll start at the beginning, the chase, and then the honeymoon phase, and you know, all the way to, you know, the sense where you break up and then new rebirth and life for yourself and all of that. So that's the idea behind it. Is that the, like the Taylor Swift script or something? Uh, I mean, the stuff that I've heard seems kind of like just on the like break up or like this is over. And <laughs> it's just tried to be a focus on all of the aspects like of the relationship that it's really exciting first parts of it and okay. when you never want to leave each other and then when you're like, I'm going to kill you. So you get like that though, to the killer stage. Wow. Oh, Yeah. Those are the easiest ones to write about. Oh. This one you get fired up. Oh, yeah, fired up. Do you have big claws? I don't. I'm a Scorpio, so I have, like, definitely venom, but they're not on my nails. They're in my eyes. Okay. All right. <laughs> okay, okay. I'm glad you made that all literal for me. I like that. I like exactly. that. Exactly. I looked over and saw swarms of people twirling with the needles and pillows. I'm screaming. Who are your biggest influences? Musically, I would say Sade and her persona, just this natural, very melodic, like sensual, like writing about love. And yeah. I really admire her career too. Like she just went and lived her life and comes back like eight years later with amazing albums. She's the only female version of Prince. You know, she yes, can take and off. I love Prince. Yes, <laughs> she they can are take similar off. in that way. Yeah, I yes. thought that about your music when I heard one of the songs. I thought it was very sensual, but I was afraid to say that. That's okay. No, that's an honor. I saw one of the comments on your Kickstarter page, and they were like, "You're too big for Kickstarter." I love this your is music. Ridiculous. <laughs> I was like, "Too big for Kickstarter." <laughs> You're like. I've never even heard of this girl before. <laughs> but you know what? That energy around it inspires people to do their own art, which I think that's such an amazing part about Kickstarter. Is it, right. it gets you in that like very generous and giving energy. I've donated to a bunch of projects, and it just it feels good. It feels, for some reason, better than like buying it on iTunes after for like whatever ten dollars. Like when you right. give that initial investment. That belief in someone feels so good, I, I think. What are some of your dreams? Well, it's been a slow process for me. I, I didn't grow up super confident in singing. And so even just being where I am, I have gratitude for where I am. And I think this is one of the first times I'm able to see, like, wow, like I can write. And this is a career that whether I perform or I write is something that I could do for a living. I have a great life now. I have great friends. I have great family. And that ability to just be able to, like, work on music, put it out, help other people do their music, and um, have a simple life is 
really what makes me happy. That all sounds reasonable, actually. you kind of find that Sade-ish type existence where you can accept some projects and turn away some projects and keep building your career and, you know, have a a balanced life because, you know, that much heat is not helpful to anyone. So I hope, yeah, yeah. so I I want you to be able to take it and leave it a little bit. And that's the only advice that DJ Grandpa give to you from this side of the country. Exactly. I appreciate it. That's like total grandparent uh, <laughs> and that's how my parents are that's how my grandparents it's like there is no hurry take it slow like anybody who's like yes now we have to do I'm like no actually I don't have to do anything right now and it's okay and just kind of taking it slow because yeah when there's a lot coming at you it makes you anxious and then you make choices maybe that aren't the best for you for anyone out there her kickstarter is still current Go to kickstarter.com and type in Evan Roman and it'll pull up her Kickstarter page, Glamour of the Mundane. That's her solo album approach that she's about to do and step out her own two wings and all of that. So we wish her the best. And if you can't find it, then go to djgrandpa.com and we'll always provide links. Evan, thanks for your time and thanks for dropping by the crib. Thank you so much. Back in June uh, with my first Kickstarter, the Kinkajou Bottle Cutter. This was the prototype. This is what I see you there, Patrick. How's it going? It's Patrick LeBeau? LeHou. L E H O U X. Patrick LeHou? Yep. Oh man, that's, that's still cool. Still sounds like I'm saying a foreign word or something. I like that. It's like I'm saying French or something, you know. It is French. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> And you're from... Uh, Sudbury, Ontario. All right. What's the name of your company? Uh, Bottle Cutting Inc. I mean, I was just so excited when I when I saw your Kickstarter. This show didn't exist during your first project. Okay. And so I was just so excited. I was like, "You what? This is his second project? And then I was like, oh, my God, he recycles everything. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and my wife was like, oh, yeah, how lucky his wife is. Da, yeah. da, you know, and then... And then, you know, I have a bottle collection, you know, but mine's made out of like jelly jars and stuff like that because they come in a nice vintage type glass. And, and then my wife wants to hide them when company comes over and stuff. So I was like, I got to get that product he has. And she was like, yeah, that's the last thing we need. <laughs> well, it's funny because uh, like when I did this, it was just for some buddies of mine and figured they would they would like it. And yeah, I was saying once you start cutting bottles, you can't stop. It's funny. You just can't help it yeah and so your friends they just got out of control or something like that they're cutting pickle jars they're cutting everything (laughs) see that's what i was thinking that's what i was thinking 
you know, one of my models is always recycle. So when I saw your product, I was like, he uses everything. I mean, is there something in your house that you don't recycle? No, not really. You know, <laughs> so about four months ago, I noticed um, that I was throwing out a lot of bottle tops. I felt that some of these bottle tops were actually nicer than the bottoms of the bottle, and I wanted to find something to do with them. So I started looking around the web, and there really wasn't much. People were using them for bells, wind chimes, um, but I wanted to come up with something a little bit more practical. So I came up with this. I'm calling it the Jabiru. It's named after another South American animal, this time a bird. Large bird with great battle. So why don't you tell Take me how this talk. whole obsession started? You know, one day I was on Facebook, and you know those e-cards? They're going around everywhere. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I see one, and it's this, it's this rectangle. It's basically a blank sheet of paper, and there's a small circle in the right-hand corner that says your comfort zone, and it's kind of written inside that small circle. And out at the left, at the top, where there's all this empty space, it says where all the great things happen. Basically, like, step out your comfort zone and good things will happen. Right. So I saw that and it kind of just struck a chord with me. So I said, you know what? I'm going to do this Kickstarter thing. I'm going to put myself out there, see what happens. But I still didn't have an idea yet. Uh, so right. I said, well, I'm not, like, I'm not leaving this house till I come up with an idea. <laughs> yeah. And uh, a few days later, I had actually come up with three ideas. But two of them were really technology-related. Right. They would have taken like six months to develop. And I, just, I wasn't that patient. So I had this idea for the bottle cutter. And I thought, wow. You know, how fast can I do this? And I did it fairly quickly. The, from the day I had the idea to the day I was actually approved on Kickstarter, only 20 days had passed. Wow. And I was like, I was prototyping this thing. I was like probably working 18 hours a day. I was collecting bottles. And, and then I threw it on Kickstarter and I'm like, okay, what's going to happen, right? And like nothing really happened in the beginning. I'm like, oh man, how does this thing, I had no <laughs> idea how Kickstarter works, right? Like, and then I started researching, how do you like drive business to your Kickstarter? Then it's all about the blogs, right? So I'm like, okay. I must have contacted like 50 blogs a day, just every day for those 30 days. Yeah. And of the 50, I would get picked up maybe by like one or two a day. But every time I get picked up by one, you know, I'd get a three, four, five thousand $5,000 spike. In the, and my goal was high because I saw 75 grand for the Kinkajou because I was going to build this thing in the States. I was using contacts in the States and it was so expensive. And I had to raise that kind of money just to get the thing up and running. Right. But while I was on Kickstarter, three Chinese factories reached out to me. And it's, they reached out to me again on Jabru. I think that's how they get customers because they know that these people have to build something. The first company that reaches out to me didn't speak a word of English. And I'm like, how are you ever going to do business, right? So that didn't work. Right. The second one, he spoke English, but I don't know. Like he just kept saying no problem to everything. <laughs> I felt like I'm saying I need an elevator to space. Yeah, no problem. Like, right. So I was like, this, this is not going to work, right? And then the third guy, he's an American, who set up shop in China and he's he actually built a bunch of other Kickstarters. So I was like, okay, this, this will work. And then when I started talking to him, I realized, wow, okay, I actually probably could have launched with like a $20,000 goal. Wow. But the problem is now I was like, it really looked like I wasn't going to make it. So I, I pushed hard those last 10 days and I ended up just over 80. So it was a squeaker, huh? What was funny was like, I was blown away by the support I was getting from the backers. Like I would get these emails towards the end saying, you know, I don't think your project's going to make it. So what's your plan? Because I still want one of these things. And other guys would say like, you know, I've calculated if we all up our pledge 10 bucks, because there was like 800 guys at the time, right. 800 backers. If we all up our pledge 10 bucks, we'll cross over. And then all these people started upping their pledge, <laughs> just giving me extra money. So Kickstarter, they kind of gave you the base, the floor, the foundation. Kickstarter, you know, as much as the money's great that you get from Kickstarter, it's not about the money. Right. It's really about the exposure because I ended up on over almost 70 blogs the first time around. Right. 
And those blogs still bring traffic to my site. You mentioned the blogs and, you know, I know, I know everything's about blogs and podcasts and stuff this nature, you know, not so much traditional media. Was it a pay to play thing when you went to the blogs or? No, it was, I knew nothing about blogs, right? I was like, okay, I would just wrote this like simple email and say, look, I'm completely new to this. I have no idea how I get you to feature my product on your site. Right. Take a look at it if you like it, if you need, if you have any more questions. And that was just that kind of like honest email. Right. I would just send it out every day to, I would target different sectors and, and then some pretty big blogs picked it up. And, and what I noticed too is like, you get one big blog to pick it up and then so many other micro blogs just feed from that blog. True. So it just happens automatically, right? Now, oh, okay. I kept screaming and yelling to my children um, before I called you. Um, I kept saying, this guy is ingenious. This guy is ingenious. And they're like, calm down, you know, whatever, whatever. <laughs> I mean, do you consider yourself ingenious? Uh, I wouldn't say so. I think I, I think I get lucky a lot. I've done a lot of things in my life to get me here. Like I've, I've, I've owned a bunch of businesses. I did an MBA. And I feel like everything's kind of prepared me to launch this one product. So when I did it, it, it really felt right because, you know, I was, I'd have to deal with customs or I'd have to deal with imports. And I was like, oh, I did that in a previous job or I got to do market research. Oh, I did that before. And, you know, with the marketing and I had experience in that. So it kind of felt like every other job I had done led me to be ready to do this one thing. And it was really the first thing I had ever done on my own because all my other employments, all my other companies, I'd always, I'd always been with partners. Right. And this was the first time I was just, it was only me. And it was, it was really refreshing to just have full control. And So you're a Kickstarter success story. Wow. I'm liking you, man. I'm liking you. <laughs> I, I, I'm just happy for you, man. Now tell me about your new product before we have to go. Because I, I got to get it in. This is what we're here. Kickstarter yeah. is about business, man. So I must have cut like 500 bottles with the Kinkajou. And I was, you know, finishing them up. And then I... I'd have tables and tables of bottle tops. I'm like, this is crazy. I got to do something with these bottle tops because in a lot of ways, they're much nicer than the bottoms. All the brands are up there. All the glass embroidering is up there. Right. All the colors. And I was like, okay, what can I do with this? And then flipping it around, I was like, it's actually, you know, you put it in your hand, it feels good. It's like a wine glass or, or, or a goblet. Yeah. But the problem is there's a hole in the bottom. And how do you get it to stand? And I went out and bought some wine stoppers. And I bought some uh, plastic wine glasses and I just chopped the base off the plastic wine glass. I took the wine stopper apart, stuck it all together, made a prototype. I stuck it in there. I'm like, there you go. That's going to work. And then now that I had my, my China connection, it was like the engineers drew it up. We went through about six prototypes, you know, getting the, the diameter right, getting the angle right, getting the, the hardness of the silicone right so it wouldn't leak. And, it, and I also wanted it to fit on every bottle. So I tested it on probably a couple hundred bottles and, it, you know, I'm a bit of perfectionist, so I... Got it right to where I wanted it. And now that, you know, with the China guys, let's make some colors. Let's make some packaging. It just, it happens really quickly. Okay. Now with the Chinese guys. Yeah. That sounds so funny. It's like a spy film. Now with the Chinese connections, let's say it that way. (laughs) How much money do you save? Like if you want to launch a project and you're thinking it's going to cost X, Y, Z. Now with the Chinese connection, how much money would you save? How much lower could you ask for on Kickstarter with that power? To give you an example, um, when I priced out the molds for the Kinkajou in the States, right. the molds were $20,000, but that was for one set of molds. And that was just for the Kinkajou body itself. And I was actually at that time not even making the wheels or anything else. I was buying all aftermarket parts. Right. And then when I went to China uh, the first time, 
the guy, he says, he honestly says, if you're really going to sell this thing, he says, we need to make every part. You can't rely on wheels from company ABC and a pin from company D. And he says, if they stop making that, you're in big trouble. So he says, we got to make all the parts. But he says, the bad news is you're going to need seven molds, not one mold. Right. So I'm like, oh my God, like what's this going to cost? Right. So he quotes me on seven molds, seven molds, $10,000. You know, and it was 20000 for one mold. Right. And I'm telling the guy, like, wow, this is cheap. He's like, well, he says, you should have seen it 10 years ago. He says, this is expensive. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Is there anything that, uh, that you have to say that I didn't get out for you? You know, bottlecutting.com is the main site. Uh, from there, you can get links to the Kickstarter project. Or if you go into the Kickstarter project, you can just type Jabiru. That'll come up. Dude, your ideas are crazy, man. You're always welcome as long as you keep coming up with crazy stuff. Well, that's <laughs> what I seem to be doing, so. <laughs> Thanks for coming on The Crib. Thank you. After over a year of research and development, I was able to create Windcatcher, a radically different inflation technology which requires no power and no pumping. So to demonstrate what I mean by radically different, first I'm going to blow into this bag with a conventional valve. Hello, Ryan. Uh-oh. Hi. It's Ryan and a, and a so whole big see, pack of dudes. Even after two breaths of air, <laughs> the bag with the- Yeah, these are my uh, business partners. This is uh, Zeke Musio. Nice to meet this you. This is Rob Stam. Business partners. Is that what we're calling it these days? Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> How you doing? I'm doing well, man. How are you guys doing? Really good. Doing good. Yeah, doing great. I see that you're doing great on Kickstarter. How long has it taken the three of you, this motley crew, to put this whole program together? For the Kickstarter itself, um, we've been working on that for a couple months. Um, you know, just shooting the video and actually putting together the page. The actual product itself, worked on that for over a year. With just a single breath of air, I was able to inflate this now, entire Ryan, bag. Now, Ryan, you're the creator of this device. It looks like magic to me. Yeah, we get that a lot. <laughs> I mean, how can that be? So it's actually, it's a phenomenon that a couple of people have been using. Um, Dyson, if you're familiar with that inventor, he invented a bladeless fan that also uses the phenomenon known as entrainment. In simplest terms, basically because we're blowing into the windcatcher valve from a distance, right. as the air from your mouth travels to the valve, it picks up a bunch of the surrounding air and actually sucks it inside. Okay, so that's the science, entrainment. I wasn't the first person to um, discover entrainment. Right. That was discovered many, many years ago. You're not going to tell me that Edison invented it or something like that? No, 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 no. Yeah, Edison definitely didn't invent it. Okay. Right. Uh, scientists discovered entrainment. People like myself have been using it recently for stuff like inflation or, in Dyson's case, to make a fan more effective. Entrainment. Yeah. Is this more of a technology or is this something that we've witnessed in nature and we've kind of adapted that process? Well, you definitely witness it in nature you know, all the time. Take, for example, if you're blowing out birthday candles, because you're doing it in a way that the air from your mouth can interact with the surrounding air, it's actually quite a lot of air that you're moving, pushing on the birthday candles. The problem with inflation traditionally is that you have a valve right against your mouth. And so the air from your mouth can't interact with the surrounding air. And so that's why it takes so long to inflate, because all you're doing is moving the air from your lungs into the object you're inflating. What we're doing is really 
drawing in or sucking in a bunch of the surrounding air with every breath. Right. And it uses no battery, no gizmos or anything like that. So Yeah, no power, no pumping. Now, I saw your video and it was very well done, especially the part about putting your mouth on a dirty valve that's been on the ground type of thing. I thought that was very good marketing, you know. Now, who's responsible for that? Raise your hand. So basically, me and Rob work on that that video. And actually, Zeke helped out um, originally with like the ideas behind the video. But me and Rob put together the video over many, many, many weeks. <laughs> we, we actually were filming and uh, we accidentally threw the pad down right next to a pile of dog crap. And that's actually, you can see that in the in the video. So we decided, you know what, that's another selling point. Right. Is you don't have to put your mouth on this valve that actually landed within a foot from this. So Timing is everything, Rob. It is, huh? <laughs> another feature that I see in your video is not only can you inflate things in seconds, but mm-hmm. deflation becomes a problem also because it's like you're trying to purse this valve and you're squeezing everything, trying to get the air out, and, and it's very cumbersome. Basically, as a side benefit of doing the type of inflation that we're doing, we also design the valve so that it can open up and allow all the air out almost instantaneously so you don't have the hassle that you have with the traditional valve. Why have you thought of this? I mean, what brings you to think of uh, inflation, deflation type of device? I was on a family vacation, and we were on the beach, and we each had a um, air mat, uh, just like a normal, you know, pool a mat that you have to inflate with your mouth. And I'm pretty lazy, so I gave up after just two breaths. Like, I'll just lay on the sand or just, like, not go swimming. But my brother kept trying because he had kids and stuff like that. And really, after 30 seconds of him trying, he looked down at the valve and he said, you know, well, he said some explicitives. Eventually, uh, when I got back to Portland, it was just an idea that I always kept in the back of my head and would just work on it. And, you know, it just it eventually came into the product that it is. I wasn't expecting to invent something that I think is what people find to be as dramatic as it is. I thought I was just going to invent like a, honestly, like a mediocre solution. But I feel like this, um, I got lucky and was able to find something pretty cool. I like ideas that are simple because um, I don't have like a degree in anything <laughs> fancy. So I have to like focus on simple ideas. And I thought this one would be a good fit for me and turned out I was right. So you don't have the degree in physics or anything? You're not like a MacGyver or something like that? MacGyver, it wasn't really his degrees that got him where he is. I would say that just in general, like inventors, like it's not the degree, it's really more like you become so frustrated with a problem that you just keep trying to think of solutions. And yeah, so my degree is in in marketing, but that was just because that was the easiest thing to take in college. That's how I got my degree. It was the easiest. (laughs) What's your degree in? Mass communications. (laughs) There you go. So you come from a family of inventors. I mean, but you actually call yourself an inventor, a builder, and a fixer. Well, only now that this product's been successful. (laughs) (laughs) Before I had other inventions and I never called myself an inventor. But yeah, now that this one seems like, you know, it's appealed to a lot of people. I feel like, yeah, I feel like I've joined the fraternity of inventors, I guess. Did Rob or Zeke put you up to that title? Not really. I mean, that's that's what he he is actually. I mean, that's uh, he is he's the one who came out with a product. So um, that's that's his title in the company. No, I know that, but I mean, did you guys like have a board meeting or something? It was like, dude, <laughs> this is working, no, man. 
You need to brand yourself, man. It's all about branding. That's the beauty of having a startup that you can basically, you know, just give yourself whatever role you want. Ah, and he's using the technical word of startup. You guys are a startup now. I like that, man. You guys are a little supreme team with you there. I like that. <laughs> you guys are blinding me with science, man. My whole thing is it just looked like magic. It looked like it couldn't be real. And so right. I showed it to the people in my family and they're like, ooh, you know, and that's kind of cool. The whole wow effect. And you guys totally captured that in, you know, the copy for the video and for the, you know, the whole dog story you just told me about. And for anyone who's interested in seeing a magic trick, but it totally involves science. Go to kickstarter.com and type in wind catcher and you'll pull it up. And that's one word, wind catcher. If you can't find it, go to djgrandpa.com and we'll provide links. I'd like to thank you, gentlemen, for coming on the show. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Take care. Hi, my name is Gregorio, and I am the leader of the New York-based Gregorio Uribe Big Band. My band consists of 16 musicians from different countries, and my music is a blend of Colombian rhythms and big band arranging, resulting in a powerful sound that is as danceable as it is innovative. Gregorio, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Tell me about your big band, man. So my big band is a 16-piece big band, and you know, just as, as the names uh, already stated, it, it has the particular format of the big band, you know, an American art form that had its um, golden years around the 30s and 40s. Yes. So I blend those techniques used, you know, for saxophones, uh, trombones, trumpets, and, and rhythm section with uh, rhythms from Colombia, where I'm from. How long have you been into music? Since I was a kid, uh, you know, the, the first, I was always, <laughs> just remember how, you know, at the dinner table, I would always just grab the fork and knife and try to play some kind of beat with the plates and the glasses and all that stuff. So it right. was just somewhat of a, of a natural thing. Right. And I got my first guitar, you know, a little acoustic guitar, when I was about seven and I learned a few chords, I was trying to write my, my own song. So, uh, but music, yeah, it's always been there. Is the guitar your main instrument? Uh, no, I would, I'm a little bit of a, you know, jack of all trades, but uh, a king of none. So I, I did start playing guitar first, which is, and my approach has not been necessarily as a guitarist, but you know, more as a singer songwriter, so I can, you know, accompany myself. And right. it's, I use it a lot for writing, just for writing, you know, playing songs. Right. Then I started on drums, on you know, on drum set, which you know, like every every kid wants to play drums at some point. So really yeah, got into that, true. and that's the instrument where I think I put most of my energy. That's kind of what I went to when I went to study music in Boston. That that was my main focus. And parallel to that, I also learned um, accordion, which is an instrument very commonly right. used in Colombia for traditional rhythm. So it was kind of going at the same time as the drums. That's what drew me to contact you, actually, because I love the accordion. It's like the coolest instrument, man. It's totally cool. Right. The accordion just gets people's attention, so I don't know what an instrument is. Now, what you said about playing spoons and all that at the table, you know, parents normally smack children for stuff like that. You know? Oh, they smack me too. <laughs> <laughs> but after that, they bought me a drum set. 
So they taught me some manners at the table, but at the same time, they did encourage me to continue with the music. So I think it was a good balance. <laughs> it was a good balance. You got smacked. How is it a good balance? <laughs> <laughs> Now, are you in close contact with your home country of Colombia? Yes, yes, I am. I was told by someone who moved to America from another country one day that when you moved to America, you still remember your country the way it was when you left it. But it kind of changes and moves on after you leave. I mean, have you kept up with all of that, the traditions and the slight changes and stuff that your country would go through while you're here in America or traveling the world? That's a great point. Yeah, of course that happens. And at the beginning, maybe with the first time when you spend a few years outside and then you come back, sometimes you can feel even like a tourist in your own in your home, which is a little strange. Right. But no, and over the you know the past few years, I've been going back and it's very much in the center of my mind, whether it's on my music or my family being there or, you know, just many things. So I, I kind of feel uh, that I'm kind of in both places in this, at the same time. And I'm, yeah, I never felt that I've completely left and, I, and I'm not planning on, on doing so. No, I got you. So, I uh, yeah, so my ideal thing is to kind of, I, I, I love, you know, the New York influence for the Colombian and I want to keep that to be a, like a 50-50 as much as possible. See, you had Ricky Ricardo in your video. I love that dude, man. And with the video? In, in your Kickstarter video, uh, it looked like you had him for like two seconds. Ricky Ricardo? Oh, no, that was, um... That was uh, Oh, no, no. Why am I forgetting that name? Uh, oh, my God. I can't remember. It was Manny the Moocher. Very important. Oh, name. Cab Calloway. Cab Kid, dude. Yeah, that was Cab Calloway. That was Cab Calloway. Oh, my fault, man. Yeah, I can't, yeah. Maybe I can't see that well or something. But I love Cab Calloway. I mean, Manny the oh, Moocher, that's one of my... Exactly. Amazing uh, uh, showman. My children have seen me uh, sing and perform Minnie the Moochie before. Oh, yeah? Dude, I love that song. Come on. Who wouldn't? Yes, yes. Now, I hear that your music is danceable. It has all these Colombian rhythms and all that stuff flowing through it with all sorts of other influences. But I, I love the rhythms that I'm hearing. How does it feel to perform on stage in front of people? That is the, the, the moment where I, I am, um, how do you say, like the most present, I think, in my life. Uh, and I have a song that talks about enjoying each day and, you know, not just keeping, not always just thinking about the future and what's coming, but really enjoy what's happening right now. And, right. you know, when I introduce that song, I tell people, you know, right now, what you're seeing me do right now, and with these amazing musicians backing me up here, right here behind me, this is my dream right now. So you're looking at me really, you know, completely materializing my dream. So it doesn't matter where, where, where I am, where I'm playing, as long as I'm playing, you know, with my band, my music. And, you know, to be, when I'm performing, I try to tell that to myself because that'll come through. People will notice that. Whatever is, it'll come through your eyes, through your smile, through the way you talk, you dance, you sing, and that really translates. I hear that you have a special reward on your Kickstarter page. What if I need a song for a special someone in my life? Can you help me with this? 
with one of the rewards, what I can do is I would love and be happy to write a song um, for maybe someone that you want me to write a song. So let's say it's your you know, uh, 20th anniversary and you wanted me to write a song for your wife. Right. Um, you know, or, or for your kid's birthday. No, I have or, a wife. You know, I have a wife. No, I have a wife. No, but no, that's what I'm in general for women. And you know we can we can talk and you can tell me about the stuff that is, that you want to say and you know we'll, we'll go back and forth but I'll write a song and you know record it and so you can give it to that special someone or it could be about you as well if you want I mean you know, if you want like well you know this is who I am this is what I do and this is the thing that I believe in I'll be happy to do that so <laughs> nah 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 not about fun. me nah you losing <laughs> me on that not about me alright <laughs> <laughs> Gregorio Dude, I just want to say thanks for coming on the show, and your music is beautiful. Keep people dancing, man. Remember, always keep people dancing. That's what you, you, you're incredible at that, you and your big band. For anyone out there who loves this music, go to kickstarter.com and type in Colombian Rhythms. Take a look at his rewards. See if there's something that you really like. And if you can't find it, if you have trouble with the small print, Go to djgrandpa.com and we'll provide links. Gregory, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you so much. This is my favorite part of the show, the elevator pitch. And this week, we find in the elevator a working mom and teacher, someone who's moved a whole family closer to Nashville so she can become a country music singer. Her name is Jenny Casey. She's on Kickstarter. Jenny, do you know what an elevator pitch is? I would love to know what an elevator pitch is. What do you mean you would love? You're a teacher. I don't know. (laughs) Oh, all right. Well, an elevator pitch is basically... I'm a guy with a very nice French suit on, like one of those $1,200 suits or something like that. One of those guys who, he's not really that accessible. He doesn't really hang out in the public and stuff like that. But Jenny, she's walking near a very high-priced building, and she sees me go inside the building, and she knows that I have the money, and she needs the money for her Kickstarter album, for her singing career. So she follows me inside the building. I don't know how she got in there. I don't know what she told the guard. But I go into the elevator. And before I can do that, she has on these, like, high heels. And she puts her foot in the door. And then I'm, I'm like, excuse me. She said, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get on the elevator. And I say, okay. And so what she does is, before I reach floor number seven, I push the button. Mm-hmm. You have to give me a viable reason why I should back your Kickstarter. Think of me as the Kickstarter community in essence. So why do you deserve the money? Because people are going to love the music and it's something different that nobody's doing. There is a lot of stuff that people can connect with and it's filling a void right now that is huge and that it's a way to speak to an audience that is just going to love it. Hey, I got a lot of fun stuff on this album. I can't wait for people to hear it because it's just going to be like, really? Did she just write about that? That's crazy, you know? And, uh, I make it fun to be a grown woman and cool to be a mom. And why are you different? You just have to meet me. (laughs) (laughs) You'll see why. 
You know what? What, what? Go ahead, go ahead. I'm a hot mom, that's why. What are you talking about? You're a what? <laughs> I said I'm a hot mom, that's why. Oh, okay, all right. Let's see you dressed up now, okay? Yes, you look the part. You're pretty, you're beautiful. But what, what makes you different other than the looks? More, you gotta well, be more than that to get the money. I know it. No matter what you do on stage or how you look or how you dress up, you know, I'm still the real deal. I don't think there's anyone in town, first of all, that's doing what I'm doing. I know I'm doing something different. I know it because I've been here and I've listened and I've been around. And uh, I know that's one thing I'm, I'm excited about. My biggest inspiration is an artist that was one of the first kind of pioneering women to get out there and write songs about real stuff and not be afraid of what what people thought. And uh, that was, was Loretta Lynn. Oh, Loretta, Loretta. Lynn. Okay. I, Absolutely. I, like music. I mean, she caught a lot of facts for it, but, you know, she wasn't didn't fit the mold and, you know, probably wasn't supposed to make it, but she did because they loved it. They were like, yeah, that's you're right. That's exactly how I feel. And if it weren't for her story and knowing, you know, I've got four kids and she had four kids when she started working on music and started late in life like I did not. I mean, I started later than her, actually, but just decided, you know what, this is my calling, this is my gift, this is what I've got to share with the world and just go for it. Okay, I'm liking your spunk there and you're telling me a story I can actually hold on to Loretta Lynn. Thanks for coming on the crib, and uh, I'll see you later. I got, I, I'm kind of busy though. I gotta go. All right, you can see yourself out, right? I don't have to help you because I can't go back downstairs now. I can't do that. Well, thanks for the elevator ride. I'd like to thank all our guests this week. I'd also like to thank our listeners. We couldn't do it without you guys. A special thanks goes out to Trevor Williams and to my mentor, The Mumbler, for providing music for DJ Grandpa's crib. Thanks to Theron Kennedy, our director of marketing. Until next week, so say we all. The homepage for DJ Grandpa's crib is djgrandpa.com. You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter, DJ Grandpa's Crib all one word. Please subscribe to our podcast in iTunes, which helps other people discover the show. And don't forget to leave a comment while you're there. Our producer is Von Rupert. The executive producer of this and all Bedrock Communications podcasts is A.F. Rufus.